Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Great to be with you. Great to be with you, getting our appetite ready for Thanksgiving. We have another great guest joining us today, Richard Mudge, Dick Mudge, president of Compass Transportation and Technology and a co-author of Alan's of a new report titled Market Framework and Outlook for Automated Vehicle Systems. Thanks for joining us, Dick. Fine. Looking forward to it. To quote from the summary conclusions in the report, advanced vehicle automation is coming soon, sooner than those outside the industry generally expect, and the impact of these changes will be unprecedented. Dick, uh, first of all, give us a little background and context uh, about this report. uh, One of the If you're in the consulting business, the key to success is to have a good client. And in this case, we have, we did have a good client. Al and I did. Uh, the society of actuaries are, are basically are the brains behind the insurance industry. Uh, this is a group that, um, is, uh, has limited experience with autonomous vehicles, has strong reasons to be very interested in autonomous vehicles. Uh, they are a knowledgeable group. So it's fun preparing something for them uh, because they're whatever we provide, they may actually uh, do something with it. Um, and I think our approach to this was different than some of the traditional studies. Uh, the title says it all. We're, we're going to take a market approach to it. Uh, we're not going to be worrying about different levels in SAE, and we're providing a framework. So it's something people and they can react to and use as the world changes. Um, rather than providing uh, definitive forecasts of things. Um, Alan, a little more about the about the goal of this report. Well, the goal of this report was really to uh, to inform uh, the um, the insurance industry through the uh, through the actuaries who are actually the ones that are monitoring what the implications of all this technology are. And in that monitoring process, really end up setting um, uh, what the insurance rates are and so on. And and it's important uh, that since they're really uh, looking at what the output of the technology is, as opposed to the technology itself, it's key that that we provided them with a with a business view. And we've talked before, Alan, uh, about uh, the impact on the insurance industry. And your thinking has been that uh, the insurance industry is going to be one of the drivers making all of this happen, that they have some real incentive here. Well, that's that's the perspective that, that I've taken on this. The insurance industry can help make this happen. Uh, why? Because they are a key player in, in the process, and especially with respect to, to individuals and certain types of this technology. 
And so I think it was important for us to, to really bring that perspective to them simply because um, they can help and if they if they really want to go out there and do that. And I guess that was part of our motivation in uh, in doing this study. You know, a lot of the stuff on autonomous vehicles gets way down in the weeds about what does each level mean, what exactly is happening, when and where. Uh, we were able to provide a broader market framework uh, and then go through and say, what do we know today, what don't we know, and how will we be able to figure out how fast this is going to happen. So the report, uh, again, has a different market framework. Uh, people who have heard Alan before, you heard him talk about safe, self-driving, and driverless categories, and we build the report off of thinking about those things. Uh, each one of them affects the insurance industry in a different way, um, and it's important for them to be able to focus on those. What can we tell our audience about the content here? Can you dig into it a bit? Yeah, let me say one thing we, we, we did in it that was a little different. It, it's fun to do forecasts, uh, but there's no, no, no Nobel Prize given if you uh, get the forecast right. Uh, so we have not done that. We focused on the data that's out there that's needed. Uh, what type of data do you need to analyze safe vehicles versus driverless? Uh, we also uh, discuss um, uh, trigger points. Uh, everybody likes to do scenarios now, and that's, that's uh, again, another fun sport. But in there, we have about 10 different uh, things to track that will help tell people uh, are autonomous vehicles coming faster or slower. And that involves everything from regulations to costs to deployment. Um, I think it's a different way of thinking about this. Um, we also have a section at the end that says, here's what we think we know. Um, and it's very short but very clear about uh, where we think we are within the industry. And I think that will be useful to people, hopefully within the, within the, uh, within the actuaries, because they're, they're the ones who paid us. But I think it has value for broader groups as well. Yes, I, I think uh, one of the things that I think we helped them with is to actually focus on the various markets that they will will operate in and, and how different each of those markets are and what they need to focus on uh, with respect to, and, and I've said this with respect to sort of my classifications of, of safe self and driverless, they're very different. You know, the safe driving car is all about uh, uh, improving safety, and that means no collisions. It doesn't have anything to do about comfort, convenience, taking your hands off the wheel or anything like that. And so when they look at the technologies and then they should focus on that and then they can they can assess it and price it and, and, and move forward on it in, in that particular way. Whereas with with the, with the self-driving vehicles, it being focused on comfort and convenience, uh, it can then take a, a, a different approach and, and really look at, at those aspects as, as it affects its business interests in terms of, of providing insurance to the industry. And then when you get to the driverless piece where you don't have anybody anywhere, where it has to operate by itself and go through say, all those landmines, uh, how to approach that, and especially with respect to the implications that that's going to be a fleet business rather than, than a personal um, ownership and personal liability reason makes all the difference in the world, I believe, in terms of the way the insurance industries and actuaries look at that market aspect of this technology. So I think that this is what uh, Dick and, 
and I had it in mind with this, and, and I think uh, we at least uh, moved the ball forward. Yeah, one of the things we, we talk about a firm out is data. You know, actuaries are very analytical people, uh, and they analyze things by looking at existing data. Uh, and here we have an industry that has almost no existing data. A lot of the data that's out there is wrong and over-promoted. Uh, so we have some discussion in there about what can be done to improve the quality of the data, especially around safe vehicles. Uh, I think we have a table in there that shows there are 26 different definitions of automatic braking by all the different car companies, uh, which is confusing by itself. Uh, and each one has a different different level of performance. So to move forward uh, within the industry and within the actuaries, we need to uh, collect better data, and it needs to be timely data. And um, and so there's, there's, that's something which hopefully uh, uh, we can help move the ball forward. And it sounds Possibly like there may be a need for more standardization. Yes. Uh, and then we talk some about regulation, but I think a lot of the standardization could come from the insurance industry. They are logical people to lead this. Uh, they need the data now. They need to have um, uh, better data in it uh, out there right now. Uh, the insurance industry uh, can can help move that forward. And, and, and that would be good for them. Involved be good in for their the, definitions uh, of various aspects of this. And they need to... Uh, they need to have that well-defined, and the industry has to know which one of those buckets they, they are going to fall into. And so, in a sense, the standardization can be led by the insurance industry saying, okay, we're going to have this bucket, but we want you to then meet these specifications and these requirements, and then you're in this particular bucket. So, uh, in fact, uh, they can probably do it uh, more easily than, than some legislators in various uh, levels of government. My assumption is that they're lo really looking forward to being able to uh, get a hold of all of the accident data that these yes. vehicles are going to be producing once once they are out on the road in great numbers. Getting that data very quickly is important, and getting it promoted uh, within the industry is, is very important. Uh, and I will say, I think the the act Society of Actuaries uh, has been enthusiastic about this. We had a, a, a panel to review it. We had an expert panel in addition to go over this. Uh, there was, a, there's been a lot of enthusiasm and interest in learning more about, uh, the autonomous vehicle industry and, 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 and what actuaries and insurance companies can do about it. So it was a very encouraging project to be involved in. And I, and obviously I, I have a biased view of it, but I think there's some things in there that are said more clearly and more directly than I've seen elsewhere. And with the conclusion, uh, the summary conclusion saying that uh, the auto advanced vehicle automation is coming sooner than those outside the industry general ex generally expect, someone reading that from outside the industry might wonder, what do you mean? When? Well, it, it, it again depends on which one one's looking at, because certainly within the the safe uh, driving technology, there are things out there. The problem is that there's a whole range of those those technologies out there with a range of different uh, capabilities. And one can begin right now to make sure that they're appropriately classified so that one doesn't have data about one thing and tries to apply it uh, to something else in which it's, it's not really a, in the same category. So an enormous amount of this exists. It is coming out there. 
And so there is a lot that can be done today. And um, and uh, with respect to uh, the other things, um, we're waiting to hear word about whether or not Waymo is actually going to put driverless into uh, into uh, operation on a revenue basis uh, before the end of the year. We only have, um, you know, five or six weeks to go. So let's see. Well, that is among the stories we want to get to. Uh, we've talked about uh, Waymo before, and it, apparently it's going to happen in days or weeks. Uh, Waymo launching its commercial autonomous transportation service in Arizona. This week, the CEO of Volkswagen gave an estimate that the company is one or two years behind Waymo. Alan, in the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, you say they may be further behind than that. Well, I, I think so, because uh, because uh, driverless is a different business than self-driving, uh, than what the automobile industry has been in. You know, they've been in to sell hardware that you drive and you provide your own mobility. The driverless is a, is a mobility machine, and it's a mobility machine that goes out and provides rides. This is not the business that Volkswagen has been in. And and first of all, they have to have that mindset. And the mindset to actually put vehicles out there without anybody in it, as we'll probably discuss with respect to the findings on, on Uber that have come out, uh, one sees that one needs a very different mindset if one is going to compete in, in this business. So, uh, yes, I don't know what they mean by autonomous vehicles when they talk about them. But if they're talking about doing Waymo, which Waymo is building a mobility machine that, sure, in the beginning, it's going to have uh, attendants on board to oversee and make sure and keep everybody comfortable. But my understanding is that the entire design of that vehicle, the testing of that vehicle has been focused on having it work and tested and demonstrated in an environment in which there is no attendant in that vehicle. And, and to, to get to be in that mentality and takes a, a, a substantial amount of time. And then to then develop the technology from that mentality takes another substantial amount of time, which to me adds up to more than two years. And uh, obviously it's a completely different business model. Absolutely. Uber is in the news again. Business Insider reports Uber insiders describe infighting and questionable decisions before its self-driving car killed a pedestrian. What, if anything, are we seeing here that is new? Well, this is divulging uh, some of the things that we had already known that, in fact, uh, Uber explicitly turned off the emergency braking system that is stock in the Volvos uh, that uh, that they were using. Why? Because they were afraid of it intervening and causing an uncomfortable ride. Why? Because they aren't able to determine whether or not a, a stationary object ahead uh, you can pass under it or not pass under it. And so um, looks like I got cut off. You're still here, Alan. Jeez. Keep going. Okay. Uh, let me, uh, you'll be able to, uh, um, whether they could determine whether or not they could pass under the object or not under the object or w whether it was really that stationary object was really in the road ahead. 
and this causes the automated emergency braking system to to trigger if they do that and and so to avoid that uh, they turned it off and what this business insider does is it gives us more of the uh, information as to what was going on inside of uber and the problem was that they were building a vehicle that was requiring an attendant on board they weren't building a a driverless vehicle they were building a self-driving vehicle and they marketing it out there or promoting it or who knows what telling their CEO that they were producing a driverless vehicle. A self-driving vehicle to Uber is essentially worthless, except for maybe, you know, some promotional um, ramifications. But otherwise, it doesn't help their, it's not going to give them their valuation. They need a driverless vehicle. And for them to be able to do that, they have to be designing it as a driverless vehicle from the ground up. They have to have the mentality on the design team that, in fact, uh, there is no attendant on board. There's, and they have to make it perform as uh, with respect to that strong constraint that there is no attendant on board. And apparently they're cutting corners and trying to impress the boss and who knows what else you know, building a self-driving vehicle as opposed to a driverless vehicle. And so it's that mentality that I think uh, got him into some amount of trouble and um, and basically um, led to uh, the, uh, the, uh, the situation that they ran into in, in Arizona. So it's a very interesting reading, and it, it points out the fact that, that to create this mobility machine, requires a very serious um, um, development effort focused on having it work completely by itself. And, and it, that has to be the, 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 um, the overarching uh, direction of the effort, and it has to be able to do that safely. And so thinking that, in fact, oh, my goodness, we'll have somebody in there that to take uh, over in these in these situations that we haven't uh, been able to operate in is just is just uh, wrong, and and uh, can't lead to, to a, su- a successful end. Sure, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Sure, there are a lot of conditions in which oh my goodness we don't know how to solve this one yet, but all those have to be approached with the mentality that in fact. It's the system that's going to have to be able to do those things. Else, we're not going to operate in that domain. You know, there may be some confusion among some listeners uh, wondering, what, what do you mean? What's the difference between uh, a self-driving car and, or vehicle and, and driverless? And I guess the explanation is simple. One is, uh, one is uh, self-driving is sort of like a, uh, a cruise control on steroids, and a driverless means it can really go without anybody behind the wheel. Well, I wouldn't even say that. It's, it's, it's way more than cruise control uh, on, on steroids. It's going into an elevator without an elevator operator and it working. Okay? The, the reference to self-driving is that, in fact, there's somebody overlooking what is going on and, 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 and taking over if something should go wrong and saving the day. Well, you can't run into those situations that, that you need a person to, to 
uh, take over and save the day. It has to operate in an environment in which there is no vehicle. So in an elevator, and I always love to use the elevator analogy, okay, I have an elevator shaft and so on, and therefore I guess not much can happen, and therefore we don't need the elevator operator, and everybody's nice and comfortable with that. Good. Now we have to make the 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 system in, in both in terms of the artificial intelligence and, and everything else with respect to these vehicles. If they're going to go on our roads, they're going to have to basically be able to recognize that the road edges are just like an elevator shaft, and that in fact, if there's anything ahead, it's going to have to stop. And it's going to have to make sure it doesn't get rear-ended in that process and so on and so forth. Uh, But it's going to have to do it. Not, oh, my goodness, it gets into a difficult situation and, and, oh, some uh, superhuman individual is not going to come in and, and take over. No, that's not it. And one shouldn't go out there and try to demonstrate these these operations to a CEO and sort of say, hey, we're going to make it, we're going to make it seem like it's actually can operate everywhere, but we're going to constrain it so much uh, that that he or she won't recognize the difference. And therefore, we're, we're going to be able to, to put the wool over the, the, the CEO's eyes and become heroes and get big bonuses. Oh, my goodness, that's ugly. That's ugly. Dick, what's been your experience with uh, with clients, et cetera? Is there a pretty good understanding of what the difference is here when we talk about things like did, uh, some self-driving? I and, think and there is uh, tremendous confusion. I think everybody thinks when they use the phrase self-driving or driverless that they're both the same. Um, so I, and I think people uh, don't they don't understand the, the fundamental differences about the impacts on driving and the impacts on society. So there's a lot of education that needs to be done. I'm glad you're helping to do it. I think there's uh, tremendous confusion. I think everybody thinks when they use the phrase self-driving or driverless that they're both the same. Um, so I, and I think people uh, don't, they don't understand the, the fundamental differences about the impacts on driving and the impacts on society. So there's a lot of education that needs to be done. I'm glad you're helping to do it. Absolutely, Dick. You're absolutely right on that. It is so obvious. And I think that, that, that the, 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 the road that uh, Waymo has been on since 2009 has been one in which, you know, I know Chris, when he was there, was always promoting, we are going to do this without a person in it. And it's having that that mindset to do it that way, uh, uh, you know, from the beginning that has allowed them to get to where they are. It can't be, oh, yeah, we're going to look, be like Tesla, you know, the driver can take over. And then all of a sudden we can put these things out there to just move people around. I don't think that is a successful uh, means to that end. Yeah, I think there's a general sloppiness in terminology. Um, and that's mostly a lot of it's due to the press, uh, who who's not careful about it. But I think even people in the industry are not careful about it. So uh, there's we have about four or five phrases that we use that uh, people think they mean the same thing and they do not. Another story to get to GM's crews in the meantime is planning to set up offices in Seattle and hire as many as 200 engineers there by the end of next year. 
Well, I think that's interesting. And I guess, you know, Cruz is going out there to um, uh, where people are to, to work on this and where the, I guess, the, 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 the startup folks and all of my students are not working or something like that to try to hire them. But it seems, uh, I don't know, at some point, this industry has to mature a little bit and recognize that, in fact, this isn't a, a hackathon that's going to produce this thing. It's a lot of very hard, uh, continuous, dedicated work to finally get this so that it works and it works safely. And to make that happen is um, is going to require dedicated people that aren't just bouncing from one company to the next to the next to get their next bonus, though. So, I don't know. I think this this industry has to mature a little bit. And um, okay, it's nice that uh, that GM Cruise is going to go to Seattle, where there are some some of these um, uh, so-called whiz kids, or I don't know what the heck they're called today, but whatever. But um, at some point, um, one's going to have to bear down with some hard workers who are going to work hard for a substantial amount of time to get this thing um, really working. And off a little bit on a, on a tangent here, uh, the New York Times a couple of days ago ran a story with the headline, The American Dream is Alive in China. And it talks about optimism in that country. And that's a story that really caught your eye, Alan. Yeah, it caught my eye because it's uh, almost to the day, 40 years uh, since uh, since I first went to China and the enormous uh, change in China, as everybody realizes, it's, it's just it's unbelievable. And when you look at, um, I'll say, a, an enormous improvement in the quality of life of, of at least 800 million people, you know, that's a, that's a non-trivial accomplishment. And uh, kudos to them. I mean, uh, yes, there may have been, you know, some political issues uh, over the past 40 years, but my goodness, uh, um, they've really accomplished some something, and um, it's nice to see the article. Um, unfortunately, we now may be number two in the world, but um, so be it. And uh, then there was a story about Michael Bloomberg, also in the Times, uh, one of my bosses a decade or so ago, who's giving $1.8 billion to Johns Hopkins University to be used for financial aid for low- and moderate-income students. Well, kudos to him again. I mean, you know, what's what's nice about the, about the billionaires that have been created through communications and technology and, and so on is that they're giving most of their money away. And uh, this is a wonderful way for, for Michael to, to give his money away. And, and uh, um, I guess I have a little footnote in there in terms of what I would like to see Princeton do with respect to those things. People can take a look at smart driving cars at that. Um, I'm sort of, um, um, nobody else tends to agree with me on it. Uh, but in a sense, um, having the endowment that Princeton has really should, it should just make undergraduate education free for those who, um, who, um, Princeton has chosen to admit, uh, asking a middle-class family to contribute a little bit amount, amount of money, um, is just putting them in, in a, in a just unfair situation because that's, their, their child probably is so darn good. They've gotten a free ride from a very good other university, and now they have to choose between a free ride at a very good other university versus uh, 
having to pay a, a little bit to Princeton doesn't seem to me that uh, it's worth collecting that money. But anyway, uh, very few people agree with me on that e- on that also. So, but um, <laughs> it was very nice um, uh, to basically uh, uh, be able to go recruit a class, and uh, and that's I think uh, would make everybody. Uh, such a so much better off the peers um, students that would be there uh, would be just phenomenal but anyway um, just another view and you're not running for office as far as we know <laughs> right <laughs> and finally from uh, the uh, half-baked section of the newsletter there's a headline police can remotely drive your stolen tesla into custody uh, great, uh, wonderful that uh, the police can do that. I mean, uh, uh, anybody who's going to use a Tesla to do any of that knows how to disconnect the, the Tesla's automated systems uh, so that uh, the first thing that they'll do is they'll disable that capability. And guess what? The police won't be able to do it. Uh, I know the first when they stole my car from the front of my house, what's the first thing they did? They disabled all those uh, tracking capabilities and everything else because uh, I guess, you know, they're one step ahead of um, of uh, us on the technology. And so, yes, maybe that's a that's a nice thing to think about for the police, but um, um, uh, probably not going to happen. <laughs> Well, that is it for this edition. We want to thank all of thank our, all of our listeners for tuning in and wish them a happy Thanksgiving. And we want to thank Dick Mudge for coming along for the ride with us this week. Thanks, Dick. You're welcome. I want to make sure I mention uh, our co-author was Matt Hardison, who is now with Washington Metropolitan Transportation Authority. And it was great to have Matt involved. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and more. You can ask your smart speaker to play us, too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for tuning in, and have a wonderful Thanksgiving.